from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We have to have a neighborhood presence. You have to be able to reach the front porch. And then you have to be able to get the information into the living rooms. And when you look in particular at the African-American community, there is an information gap. I'm Sarah Fenske. It's been months since major mass vaccination clinics in St. Louis had us queuing up for shots. But for some vaccine clinics, the work quietly continues, one arm at a time. The Urban League partnered with the National Guard in the earliest days of vaccine availability. More recently, when the Delta variant took hold, the organization opened three new clinics in St. Louis City and North St. Louis County. Our producer, Laura Hamden, stopped by one of those clinics this morning. It's at the St. Alphonsus Liguori Rock Catholic Church in Midtown. Fred Scott told her that he was going in for something else, but the Urban League approached him about getting the shot while he was there, and he agreed. Laura asked him why he didn't do it sooner. I would have to say fear of taking the shot, the pain, um, the side effects, Really, I, I really don't know why I've waited this long. I should have been came and took this shot. I always said um, and prayed that God would provide a vaccine for COVID. And I was going around promoting and telling people when we get, get the vaccine, everybody should take it. In it. But when, it, when we got it, I'm one that never went out to receive it. Fred Scott said that his cousin died from the virus. Other family members got vaccinated a lot more quickly. My daughter has gotten the vaccination. My son has gotten it. My two sisters got it as soon as it was available. And my younger brother. They all immediately went and got it. I'm the only one that was a knucklehead that didn't do it. And Fred said that workers at the clinic treated him well. They're, they're sweet, sweet ladies, and uh, they made me feel real comfortable. That is Fred Scott. He got vaccinated today at an Urban League clinic. We're so happy for him. And joining us today to talk about the work of getting vaccinated is James Clark. He's the vice president of public safety and community response for the Urban League of Metropolitan St. Louis. James Clark, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So you've had these three clinics going strong for a while now. What made you realize it was necessary to open these? Well, Sarah, um, we we were contacted um, by the governor um, in uh, February about uh, starting vaccine clinics at senior facilities. And the the goal was to do five senior facilities, and we uh, wound up doing about 40. Whoa senior facilities. Um, then when the next tier became available, the, the school teachers, we then pivoted and provided vaccines for the St. Louis public school teachers, uh, Jennings, University City, Ferguson, Florissant, Ledoux, and others. Uh, we then provided vaccines for the mail carriers, the the hotel workers, grocery store workers, in all that first round, we did about 41,000 
vaccines through the partnership with the National Guard. Hmm. Uh, when the National Guard, um, when their orders were uh, were uh, canceled, then um, we we knew that the need was still great and that there was a lot of hesitancy, um, uh, especially within the African-American community. So, so um, uh, visionary uh, vaccines contacted us, and we met internally, and we knew that we had to work um, to, to make the vaccine accessible uh, because there are a lot of people, like, a, like a, the gentleman Fred, who made a decision to get the vaccine and then got a little hesitant. Um, and, and at that point, there was no place for Fred to go. So through this partnership, we knew that we had to make vaccines available in the neighborhood where people will have immediate immediate access in a safe, trusted environment. So that's what brought us to this point, just to keep and make the vaccines available. We heard Fred describe how the Urban League had almost kind of buttonholed him gently while he was there looking for something else on site. Is that typically how it works, or do people also know you're giving these vaccines and they're coming there expressly to get them? Well, you know, it 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 works both ways, Sarah. Uh, we we are doing a we are we are doing an an excellent job of canvassing the neighborhoods. These are three neighborhood locations uh, in in neighborhoods where where the where the Delta variant is actually spreading. So we we literally go door to door, and we focus on the businesses. So. The neighborhood response is strong, but then we do have to have the 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 ability to engage people like Fred and have a conversation with them about their status, and then uh, uh, invite them to come and get vaccinated. Um, our our team provides in in information. Um, they are very cordial. Um, they 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 just uh, open the door. Mm-hmm. And invite people in the neighborhood, passers-by, people getting on and off the bus, to to come in and uh, get get vaccinated. And we respect them if they don't mm-hmm. want to get vaccinated. But we need to have the vaccines accessible for individuals that are looking to get vaccinated. So there's a popular theory on social media that everyone who wants to be vaccinated at this point in the pandemic has already been vaccinated, that it's a waste of time to keep kind of seeking people out because people are entrenched. It sounds like that hasn't been your experience. No, no. When when you look at the urban core and when you look in particular at the African-American community, there is an information gap. Um, and so we 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 work to fill that that gap. Um, now, the, the the initial rush when uh, we opened up our first round of vaccine clinics, there were hundreds of people line, lined up daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that dropped off at uh, at uh, some point, and that's where the reality hit. Well, people who wanted to get vaccinated are, but when you look at the data it shows that there's a large number of people that are still not vaccinated. And I was listening to one of the um, uh, subject matter experts uh, saying that this is now a pandemic amongst the unvaccinated. So as long as we are below uh, the what is necessary to reach 
uh, herd immunity, we have to make the vaccines available. Mm-hmm. So hearing uh, Fred again talk about his experience, this is not somebody who's hostile to vaccines, but he's clearly hesitant. And, and you you use that word hesitancy. What works in terms of overcoming that hesitancy within your community? Well, well, Sarah, we really focus on, you know, helping people to to understand the need to do research. Hmm. You, you you know, everyone has to be able to do the level of research and come to an informed de- decision. Uh, James Clark and his wife sat down every evening, and we reviewed what was the latest uh, research on the vaccine before it was available. Um, and then both of us had a bout with COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. Fortunately, uh, she lost her sense of taste and smell for about three days. I was bedridden for 21 days. Whoa, you uh, were very ill. Very, very ill, very ill. I, I had to do uh, video conferences with, with uh, my doctor every day so he could monitor my breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he said, James, if you weren't in, in good shape, I would have had to bring you in and put you on a respirator. So uh, we did our research. We had our bout with uh, COVID, and then it was clear for, for for the clerks that we needed to be vaccinated. So uh, people, we encourage research. Um, we we encourage asking the tough questions of people who are informed. Uh, because there are a lot of networks and there are a lot of outlets that are not giving the full picture for a number of reasons. But we just encourage people to do your research and make an informed decision. And when they do that, if they decide to get vaccinated, we want to have the 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 vaccine available in a in a professional, non-threatening, comfortable environment. So overall, who do you see coming into these three clinics? Is, is there anything you can draw on demographically in terms of who's taking advantage of it at this point? You know, in 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 our three in uh, the three clinics that we currently have open, it's about ninety five percent African American. Mm-hmm. Um, um, once once the tiers opened and children can 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 be vaccinated, we are seeing parents bring in their children. And we're seeing a large number of college-age students come in. Hmm. That that was very encouraging. That um, that that 18 to about 25 year year old um, uh, demographic is beginning to come in. So so we we do see that it's beginning to pick up some momentum as people are seeing uh, testimony. Uh, because there was a very gripping testimony on uh, on uh, the news just yesterday uh, about a high school student, outstanding athlete in excellent shape, but he he has been in the hospital for I believe his mother said two weeks on a respirator, unable to breathe on his own. So those kind of stories, those those kind of testimonies, are really helping people to make a decision. And we want to be there to make the vaccine available for them. So do you plan to keep these clinics open almost indefinitely at this point? As long as people are willing to use them, you'll keep serving up these vaccines? Yes, we, we, we have a strong partnership 
with uh, Vision Vaccines, an outstanding um, uh, organization that has access to the vaccines and and that and administer them. Um, we we then have a strong base of support from neighborhood churches and BJC. Uh, BJC, we are partnered with them, where where they are working with over 100 churches, and they're going from church to church with. Um, with neighborhood churches, then in um, uh, St. Louis County, um, the St. Louis County uh, uh, Department of Health, under the leadership of uh, Damon Bradis, they are working with county churches. So there's a real grassroots effort to make the vaccine available, and we are we are excited um, because it's really beginning to gain the necessary momentum as we move into the fall when we know that there will be an increase in uh, flu, uh, in uh, the flu variant, uh, but we really, or, or the flu virus, but we really want to encourage people to do your research, make a decision, and we encourage you to get vaccinated. We're talking today to James Clark. He's the Vice President of Public Safety and Community Response for the Urban League of Metropolitan St. Louis. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with James. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. And now back to our conversation. We're talking with James Clark. He's the Vice President of Public Safety and Community Response for the Urban League of Metropolitan St. Louis. And James, we've been talking about vaccine hesitancy and, and how the Urban League is working to overcome that. But I know the, the topic that's really closest to your heart and the thing that you've made your career on here in St. Louis is dealing with violence. Um, and you've continued that work in your job at the Urban League. There's a new Urban League program involving weekend cookouts. I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us about Grill to glory. Yes, uh, thank you, Sarah. I I, um, I I came to the Urban League um, and was very uh, intrigued and very excited about working with the Federation of Block Units. Uh, that's the Urban League's oldest program, and the Federation of Block Units organizes at the neighborhood level. When when I was growing up in the in the Jeff Vanderloo neighborhood, I was very aware that we had a block unit, and that block unit served as a catalyst for information, for community programs, and so I wanted to come in and do what I can do to reinvigorate the Federation of Block Units, Hmm. Um, um, and I also knew that in our neighborhoods, we have got to begin to elevate um, the, the, the role and provide a creative way to reinvigorate the neighborhood church. So we started the Grill to Glory uh, effort that works with the neighborhood church in our more challenged neighborhoods in St. Louis City, St. Louis County, and in East St. Louis. And we were able to provide those churches with a starter kit, a cookout starter kit that consists of a brand new grill, hot dogs, and buns. So thanks to a generous donation, 
um, from uh, Mr. Doug Weibel at uh, Fred Weber Construction. He he really doesn't want recognition, but I have to offer it to him. Mm-hmm. And a donation from uh, Cisco Foods. We are able to provide that starter kit, and we have over 100 churches once again that 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 organize cookouts in the neighborhood in which their church is located. So we have churches becoming the focal point in neighborhoods once again. Now we're working with BJC to come to visit the churches and do health screenings. We are going to do neighborhood job fairs at the neighborhood churches. We're able to to um, to pivot from our large-scale food distributions to having it where 100 churches can receive 50 boxes of food every week to feed the families that live within walking distance of the neighborhood church, Sarah. So we see this coming on the front, being on the front end of crime and violence, because crime and violence comes when there's no real unity within the neighborhood. So Mm. we're going to begin to organize the block, hold, hold weekly and monthly neighborhood block meetings. So there can be some accountability so we can talk to the mother whose son is being a little mischievous, just as the neighbors did with James when he was a young boy. So we just are hearkening back on a time's past when the neighborhood was solid, and we see the neighborhood church being that anchor. So if you can build these, you can build these neighborhood now. churches, you can build up the neighborhood, and from there, you feel like that's going to have a real impact on violence. Oh, absolutely. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, mm-hmm. but it'll but it provides the 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 bedrock. It it provides the cornerstone by which families can be connected and we can talk about accountability, we can talk about neighborhood cleanliness, we can talk about who needs a job, who has an outstanding warrant, and the church becomes a focal point for families once again. It's interesting. We think of so many of these problems as being intractable, but you're kind of getting down on almost the micro level um, that if you can help people know their neighbors better, maybe that nips a lot of these problems in the bud. Yeah, uh, Sarah, here here, here in the, um, the Division of Public Safety, we focus on what we call the NPL. We believe that social service organizations have got to use the NPL lens neighborhood we have to have a neighborhood presence you have to be able to reach the front porch that's the p in npl and then you have to be able to get the information into the living rooms so for so for too long social service organizations have had a lot of good narrative but the action has been very very slow so my whole background in 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 military teaches me you have to have an action-oriented agenda. So so when we talk about neighborhood engagement, when we talk about neighborhood organizing, we have to be able to reach the neighborhood, get to the front porch, and then reach into the living room. And we can begin to turn St. Louis around. We have to turn St. Louis around from the bottom, hmm. work from the bottom up. 
And as you mentioned, this doesn't happen overnight at the same time that St. Louis has these really immediate problems. Um, you predicted in 2019 that St. Louis could see, quote, a major skid, a, Saint Louis, a skid that St. Louis has never seen before. And we did see some terrifying numbers uh, when it came to gun violence, when it came to murders following that prediction. Those numbers have now dropped in the last six months. Do you think we're entering a new period here where things are beginning to get better? Things have de-escalated. Or is that just a blip? No, Sarah. I, I think that that we are we are we are trending in the right direction. Hmm. Um, I, I I have been uh, telling St. Louis since 2012 that we are not prepared for what is to come, because when you're in the neighborhoods, you're on the front porch, and you're in the living room, you can see a behavior pattern in a 12 year old. And you can say, in four years, this young man or woman will be able to leave the house unsupervised. And that's just one of hundreds of thousands in the community. So when that behavior shows up, it's going to reap a certain amount of havoc. So it was easy to actually predict what the future is. And then when you look at the increased availability of guns, mm-hmm. more young more young men have access to guns than have a wallet in their back pocket. So when, you, when you're in the neighborhood, you can see it before it occurs. Now, there, are, there, is an, there is a renewed effort to focus on mental health. There is a renewed effort to begin to look at how do we help sustain individuals and families in our more challenged neighborhoods. And I love the fact that there's a renewed effort to do direct neighborhood engagement. Mm-hmm. See, see, I love the cure violence model. I, I love our serving our streets model because it employs people, men, men and women, who understand the mentality that we're facing. See, you don't learn to face this mentality and how to redirect this mentality on a, on a college campus. So we recruit the subject matter experts, we who men and women who may have been to prison, men and women who grew up in the neighborhoods. We give them a certain amount of training. We give them a skill set, and we employ them. We pay them a livable wage. And we deploy them into very concentrated neighborhoods, about a 10 by 10 area. If you can focus on a 10 by 10 area and you have eight people that are employed to go door to door in that area that know how to identify, know how to assess, and know how to bring resources to to the high risk people, that's how you can reduce crime and violence along with reinvigorating the neighborhood church. So I see St. Louis coming to a new awakening, but it's going to take everybody. Mm -hmm. See, we have got to realize that we're at a very real point of pivot. What, What you see going on downtown is different than what was going on in the Del Mar Loop a couple of summers ago. So, so, but we've got to be able to do the necessary engagement. It's all about engagement. 
So we can't take our eye off the wheel, uh, but we are headed in a direction that this feels like this could be the right direction, maybe for the first time in a while here. James Clark, I know you never mince words, and so it's great to hear that you're feeling some optimism. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and um, just sharing about these different projects. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And um, um, I'm available, but St. Louis has to come together like never before. And we've got to reach our neighborhoods. We've got to invest in urban engagement, knocking on the door, being in the neighborhood, and really delivering resources to families that need the help the most. So that is the prescription from James Clark. I hope the people in power are listening. James is the Vice President of Public Safety and Community Response for the Urban League of Metropolitan St. Louis. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.